0: On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time.
1: For years we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons.
0: We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont, on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished.
1: Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases.
0: Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today?
1: I am doing so well, Tim. As a matter of fact, if I was any better, I'd be you. How are you today?
0: (laughs) Well, I'm great. uh, We're recording this on a Monday, this intro here, and we had an amazing weekend in Boston with True Crime Obsessed and Maggie Freeling. Doing a live show to discuss the disappearance of Maura Murray docu series from Oxygen that we were a part of, and the show was just amazing. And we're doing it again in Philadelphia on October first, 2021. So check that out. Underground Arts, and you can get tickets at truecrimeobsessed.com.
1: And if that show is going to be anything like the show in Boston, you don't want to miss it. The show in Boston was a phenomenal time. We had Art Roderick come out as a special guest. The crowd went nuts. We had over a 1,000 people there. Everybody was out and about. And truly, the energy in that room was something special. Uh, Thank you to everybody who came out. If you want to see the show again, you want to take a trip to Philly, head on down there Friday, October 1st. The doors are at 7. The show's at 8. And Tim, you said you could get the tickets at truecrimeobsessed.com you could also go to undergroundarts.org to get the tickets and you can check out the venue and familiarize yourself with that
0: hope to see you there and lance in this episode we speak with jason watts and the true crime twins chloe and melina Cantor. and this is part two of our conversation that we aired last week it's about the disappearance of brandon lawson From San Angelo, Texas in 2013, August 9th, 2013, he was 26 years old at the time of his disappearance, 5'9", and weighed 230 pounds with brown hair and blue eyes.
1: And this is the seventh episode that we've done on Brandon's disappearance. And if you want more information, more episodes that we've done, swing back to the Crawl Space catalog and check them out. And be sure to check out all of our other shows at crawlspace-media.com.
0: All right, thanks a lot for listening, everybody.
1: went to CrimeCon in Austin mm-hmm. and you were accompanied by Brandon's parents. How mm-hmm. did that go?
2: Oh, it was great. It was great. I, and I think they were very happy to be there. Uh Ledessa too. That was a really positive experience for them. I think they're planning to be in Vegas where hopefully we're all gonna be this time.
1: Yeah, how did they uh, treat them? How did CrimeCon, the organization, treat uh Brandon's parents and
2: ladessa Wonderfully. Tell us I cannot praise it enough. Great to hear. Thanks to John Lorden from Brain Scratch, who along with you guys has really tried to help get the word out about Brandon's case. They provided the booth. So John Lorden paid for the booth? No, he talked to CrimeCon and... They, they they comped the booth?
0: Yeah. That's really great.
1: But John Lorden must have been like, I'm out if you don't do
0: this. And then there's no crime
2: con. No, I think they have a really good relationship with him. No, I think he threatened them. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> blackmailed them yeah. or extorted he them. He is the you king heard of it YouTube. here first.
0: <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> no, check, <laughs> check out John Lorden's uh, YouTube uh, channel, Brain Scratch. He's awesome. Um, all right. Well, what about the uh, the Gardendale remains, Jason? I know that was something we talked about in, in our series on missing Brandon Lawson uh, because there was uh, John Doe that was found in Gardendale, which I think is some distance away from where, we, right. you know, Brandon's truck was. So is there any update on that?
2: Yeah, yeah, we we were waiting a long time. You know, Lou and I were pressing for them to match the DNA from that John Doe to Brandon, and we weren't getting any kind of response. Now, that's also in the middle of COVID. So we all know the COVID, man, it just put everything off. It's It screwed everything up. You know, the medical field was really their focus was turned because you know, they were having to take care of COVID and try and get a vaccine together. And so testing just wasn't there. And uh, luckily I don't remember when exactly, but earlier this year, I think it was like somewhere around January or February. I was just looking at NamUs and I was like, well, you know, I'll go check the Gardendale remains out. See if there's anything new plugged in the, the ID number for those remains and op pups this additional information. Like that wasn't, they didn't tell Lou about this when he contacted them. I th- he made contact with the medical examiner when those remains were really first brought to our attention. And all the medical examiner told him was they didn't have a clue as to who it was and that they had sent the DNA or the remains off to UNT for DNA testing. And that's all they really told Lou. And so we were just waiting to see if there was going to be any results and luckily, they published this new information that included personal items that were found with the remains, and it was based on that information that you know, I when I when I read the additional information, I called Lou up and I was like, Lou, it's highly unlikely this is Brandon. What about it? What, what was added to? They the They apparently found a pair of tennis shoes. They had found some clothing, and they had found a key to an Audi, and Brandon didn't own an Audi. Uh, the clothes they found didn't match the clothes he was last being known to wear. The shoes were a different size color, and brand than Brandon was wearing so I mean Brandon wore size eleven these shoes were size nine, so I don't think he was out running around with a shoe size two sizes too small right
1: there's no identification currently for this
2: person nope no. i don't know who it is as a male it it was
1: a male. Do they have like an age range? 25 to 35. And how far away was this
2: from uh, Brandon's truck? Like 130 miles to the northwest, I believe. Okay, quite a ways. Yeah. Not totally impossible, as we right. stated when we recorded last time. But right. It, it was just, it, it really, man, it was just one of those situations where, like, okay, well, we'll keep an eye on this, but we really want them to compare the DNA. You and
3: many others listened to our interview with Kyle. Mm hmm. How do you think that changed the way that the community has viewed this case?
2: I think a lot of them felt like they had the answer to it. And
0: we're going to play a clip right now from our interview with Brandon Lawson's brother, Kyle. And this is a statement that he wrote down to read on the podcast. For the interview with Kyle in its entirety, you can subscribe to Missing Brandon Lawson. It's episode two, or you can scroll back in this feed back to 2019.
4: It all started like two days before my brother came up missing. I was on my way to work, and Brandon, my brother called me, and he was wanting to know if I could get some dope for him because he's twitched jobs, and he had already taken his drug test, so he wanted to get high. He had not smoked in at least six months, and I told him, no, you don't need to do that, bro. You've been clean for a long time. He told me, know, bro, I'm just going to do a little bit, I told him, okay, and I told him to go get, again, Chris, he worked with us. So he went and picked up Chris, and Chris took him to pick up some from who I don't know. And so after they they got it, they went and got high. Then I didn't hear from him until I was on my way home. I called him and asked where he was, if he was still going to come by when I got home, and he said yes after I got home. I never heard from him. I figured he was at home, so the next morning I tried calling him and can't get a hold of him. His wife wouldn't answer either. So I called some friends back home in Fort Worth and to see if he had come there, and I found him. He was at one of our friends' house. He got on the phone and spoke to me, and he said he was going to be heading home soon. So I told him, okay, I'll heat you up whenever I get home from work. He said, okay, everything was normal. Then I'm almost to my house. And he calls me and he tells me that he is on his way home. And she, as in Ladessa, better not have touched none of his stuff. I went to their house. Ledessa was cleaning the house and everything was normal. Nothing was torn up or anything. So I called him and told him to chill out, to just calm down. She wasn't tearing any of his stuff up. So I let him talk to her for a minute. And they were arguing, but I didn't pay no, no mind to it. So I got my phone back, and I went back to my house, showered, changed clothes, and I was about to eat dinner when my mother called me and asked if I would please go over to their house and call my brother down because he was flipping out. When I arrived at their house, my brother Brennan was already gone, so I asked Ladessa what was going on, and she said he was tripping and flipping out. On my way there, my brother called me, says that Ladessa had some mason from the neighborhood, chasing him out of town he told me that the state trooper had pulled one of them over but there were still two chasing him he hung up on me then calls me back and tells me that he is about to run out of gas he needed me to bring him some gas so i told him okay that i had to go back by his house to pick up a gas can and come straight to him so i went to his house i got the gas can and i headed that way Well, Brennan kept calling me, and he would say a few words and hang up. The first time he asked where I was and to hurry up, I told him that I was on the way as fast as I could. Then he calls back, and Audrey answered, and he said, where are y'all? I'm bleeding, Audrey, and Audrey, hurry up and get here, and he hung up. Then he calls me again and says, where are you at? I said, I'm pulling up right now. He hung up again. So when I pulled up to his truck, I make a U-turn and park on the opposite side of the road. I get out, walk over to his truck, and he calls. I ask him, where are you, bro? He said, I'm right here where I said. At that time, there was a vehicle approaching, and he says to me, one time, run. I told him, I'm not going to run. I've done nothing wrong. And he said, where is your pride, motherfucker? And hung up on me. At this time, the officer was walking up from behind the truck, and he says, is this your truck? I told him, no, it's my brother's truck that he had ran out of gas, and he was walking down the road. He keeps losing signals, so I asked if he mind me driving down the street to look for him, and he said, yeah, but he's not back that way because I just come from that way. So I said, okay, I had not known. I had not known that my brother had made a 911 call, in between the time he was calling me on my way there, it makes no sense to me why he would call 911, call, saying he needed the cops, and then right after, he tells me to run from the police, but I drove down down the street, and I stopped. I and Audrey both repeatedly calling him and texting him, and he would not respond my son was only a few years old and he was hiring and hungry so we went back to my bank in san angelo so that i could get some money my check had been direct deposited into my account so i got the money i got some food from my son i got some gas in my car then i went and picked up our friend chris that we had worked with and asked him if he would come with me to look for my him so he got in and we went back to where my brother's truck was. And the police officer was gone, so we drove down the road very slow, hollering and screaming his name out, and he never would come. So I went down to the gas station and parked on the side while Audrey got out, got the gas can out of the trunk and went and put $5 in a gas can. And then I drove back down to my brother's truck and I got out and put the gas in his truck, and I yelled out there, Gas in your truck, bro, the laws are gone. Get it, get in it, and go. Still nothing. We drove up and down Highway 277 for about an hour, and no sign. Then the law enforcement had my brother's truck towed at 9 o'clock a.m. that morning. And then that is when my sister in law, Ladessa, called the sheriff's department and told them what was going on. They acted like I was lying to them about everything just because I didn't tell him that night that my brother had a felony warrant and was hiding in the woods. Had I known that my brother had made a 911 call not seconds in between the times I talked to him, I would have said something. But I did not know and I wasn't about to snitch my brother out. That's not just something we don't we don't do. We never have I sit. And I think things that I could have done differently, but it doesn't change anything because my brother is still missing the Coke County Sheriff's Office and the Texas Ranger that is on my brother's case. They wanted me to come in for interviewing, and so I did. They seem to think that I just picked my brother up and gave him a ride that night and dropped him off. So I told them that I want, I would like to take a polygraph test And so they agreed. So I went down to take the test and they gave me two tests. The first test one was about if I gave him a ride somewhere that night, if I dropped him off somewhere, or if I came in contact with him after the last time I said I had that night and I passed it. The second test was asking if I had harmed or hurt him and had taken his body somewhere or if I took him and done something with him, more or less they wanted to know if I killed my own brother and I passed it, then I don't believe that they have done anything with his case since.
0: Brandon said that Ledessa had Mexicans from the neighborhood chase him out of town.
4: That's what he told me, but they didn't know any Mexicans from the neighborhood. Don't get me wrong, my brother he was he was high on drugs. But they don't make any difference. My brother was high on drugs, and he might have been tripping out about some things. But I even told him that night, "Bro, you're tripping. Bro, chill out. You're tripping." He told me, "I'm not tripping. Kyle. I'm not fucking tripping." My brother didn't just go out in the woods and just die. My brother was a soldier.
0: I do just want to add that uh, that Kyle was reading um, in the very beginning of that interview. Uh, there are more oh comments God. on YouTube yeah. about this than probably yeah. any He's other. He's reading from a script. Thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's he, okay. It's okay. We understand, but but we did say that in the intro, and he did write some words um, entering the interview. Well, he wrote that down so that he would re- be able to recall everything. Right. It's not. It's not suspicious. We knew yeah, that. Dude, nah. he was flipping the pages. Everyone was aware of that.
3: It was his narrative, and it makes sense actually because time changes things, especially if if it was like a traumatic experience. Um, it's very easy and. For memories to kind of slip away or be prone to suggestions so it's it's smart that he wrote it down I don't know when he did but it was it was a good move
2: yeah I mean you were talking about something that occurred five years after the fact to him so he wants to be able to write it all down and recall it
5: it was kind of crazy talking to him in a lot of ways how so he has a very interesting personality he's very straightforward and kind of um flat in the way that he talks and he didn't really hold back his no, opinions about anything. No, he did I thought he
2: did amazing.
5: So did I. It was just kind of surreal talking to him. I don't know why. It just was for me. What did you think about
3: what he was saying about, you know, his suspicions about law enforcement?
2: Yeah, well, I know how that has kind of gone in this case. I'm just going to state that did things go not good between Brandon's family and law enforcement? They didn't. I mean, we uh, that's pretty they, much been established. They didn't go well. No. Right. It, I mean, let's just be fully honest with each other. They went to hell in a handbasket. Almost every single
0: case, or I should, should omit the almost, because it seems like every single case um, there's issues with the family and law enforcement, um, you know, not because there's police conspiracy in every case, but because there aren't answers.
2: Regardless of my personal beliefs or whatever, I will not come out and trash Coke County's law enforcement publicly. It's not gonna change anything, ladies and gentlemen. It's not. It's just gonna make it worse. And we're finally getting to the point where we're able to do these searches again. The last thing I wanna do is is poke the sheriff with a stick. You know, we need to be able to search for Brandon. That's what's gonna bring these answers. Now whether these answers lie in Coke County or whether they lie somewhere else is irrelevant. Bruce Maitland made this point when we were on that crime crime panel in New Orleans. And this is something I really want to iterate. You will not solve any case without law enforcement. That is a do not pass, go do not collect $200 fact. I can go out there. I can organize these searches. I can put my boots on the ground. The instant I find something, I have to call law enforcement. They are the power of the state. I cannot collect any kind of evidence. At that point, I'm breaking the law. Most likely, depending on the situation. Yeah. But- I can't do that,
1: right? And, and could you imagine collecting evidence and then having that be completely inadmissible when? Yeah, <laughs> when it comes time to charging somebody because a citizen d- decided to pick it up and exactly and handle it.
0: Yeah, I mean, eh, honestly, everyone should know that no no civilian is going to solve any case uh, on their own. Even a group of talented people around this blue table.
5: What about Payne Lindsay?
0: Well, I, I like there pa- are exceptions. Lindsay a lot. <laughs> But still, but still you need law enforcement's help. You can only bring it so far until you need law enforcement to carry
2: it over the line for you.
5: Yeah, to arrest the suspect. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and if all I do is come out and trash these guys, the instant I call them, they're just going to hang up the phone on me. And they look at this stuff.
0: Law enforcement, they consume this stuff more than we realize.
3: Why do you think the internet think thought they found the answer from our interview? Like, what about the interview was the answer?
2: I'm just going to answer this as openly and as honestly and truthfully as I can. You know, Kyle presented the possibility that perhaps Brandon was in a confused state of mind. The truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one person who knows either way beyond a shadow of a doubt, and that's the person we're trying to find. So, I mean, if you take Kyle's interview... I know LaDessa did a follow-up interview with you guys, and you take that and you couple it with some other evidence. Is that possibility there? I won't deny that. But is it the only possibility? No. it. I, I think a lot of people thought it was cut and dry after that interview. To me, the mystery is still really there. Because given that terrain, if he was just in a confused state of mind, he should not have been able to make it very far.
5: It would have made him more vulnerable if somebody wanted to do something to him. But just to be clear, I, I'm pretty sure Kyle knew for certain
3: that like, he was high. It didn't Brandon contact him asking for help getting access.
2: That's true. But you got to remember, Kyle wasn't with him. He didn't witness him doing it.
3: Right. But he he, he spoke to he, him. He knew that he was
2: doing yeah, that. Yeah. Like I said, the possibility is there. But it's not the only one.
3: I understand why. You know, Brandon's loved ones don't want extensive discussion on that subject. And I, I think it sheds some light and maybe explains some things that right. seemed very confusing at first, but in the end it doesn't solve the mystery.
2: No. The mystery is still very much there. What exactly happened to him? Where is he? I we don't know.
0: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program
2: when we were out there doing that search, ladies and gentlemen, I was searching in broad daylight. And like I said, there were parts that I couldn't go through. I can only, I can, I don't see how pitch black, you're gonna go very far. Now, one thing to add to that, I guess, is we don't know where he crossed the fence at. We don't know which side of the road he's on. It is entirely possible he got out farther than we thought to look and it's possible that he got a ride out of there somehow and i i don't see any evidence of that but until you find brandon you're not going to know for sure
1: what is this is it sounds like a really bleak question but what is the worst case scenario here in in, in like in your experience
2: <sighs> it's hard to answer that question i guess that he is still somewhere out there on that land and just hasn't been discovered yet.
1: And never being able to find any trace of him. Yeah. Right. Because he's, wherever he is, he's got everything still on his person.
2: So hopefully, yeah. And we, hopefully we can find that if we can get a search in the right area. Yeah. Just because something's hard, though, doesn't mean you give up and not try.
0: Right. And you're going to be doing more searches?
2: That search we did in October of last year. It will not be the last search
0: what's this uh news about
1: the there was a cell phone that was found, and you have some updates on that
2: Oh, yeah, that's kind of been there from the beginning, yeah, so in the initial days of Brandon's disappearance, there was a cracked cell phone that was found in the air in the near area, and a lot of people wanted to know, is this Brandon's cell phone? Is it related to his disappearance? I can tell you exactly what that's from oh great, yeah, it's from a fatality wreck that occurred very close to where Brandon's truck was found about three years before Brandon went missing. There was, a, there was a family traveling in an SUV. They were traveling on a bald tire. I think it was a mom, an aunt, a grandmother, and like nine kids. More passengers than seatbelts. I'm not sure which direction they were heading. They may have been heading southbound. I don't know. But right there before you get to that curve – that tire blew out on the SUV. It caused the driver to lose control. The SUV rolled several times, went through the fence. It killed the aunt upon impact inside the vehicle, ejected the grandmother from the vehicle, killed her, and severely injured a lot of the children and the mother. There's a tree branch right here. That tree branch kept the SUV from crushing one of the children. And, nice. But that, that cell phone was from that wreck. Mm -hmm. Because when the vehicle rolled, stuff just went flying. Matter of fact, there's still pieces of the car sitting in that field. The rearview mirror from that car is still sitting there. As long as I think the wheel, one of the wheels is still there and some plastics. How did
1: you determine that this was where it came from?
2: Just research. And uh, when I was, I went down to Bront in August of 2019. Mm -hmm. August 9th. I think that was the six year anniversary of Brandon's disappearance. When I went down there, I had stopped at the Stripes gas station to get something to drink before I went down to the cross. And I would, if you guys seen that shirt I'll wear at CrimeCon with Brandon's cross on it, I was wearing that. And the man that helps take care of the property, well, he did at the time. I don't know if he still does. But the man that helps take care of the property saw me wearing that shirt. He knew what I was down there for. Cool. And I left the Stripes and went to the cross and he followed me down there. He was a real nice guy. And he told me, you know, they found that cell phone in the initial days. It's from this wreck. And then I Googled it. Sure enough, there's the article.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, good. Good detective work there. Check that off the list. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about this trucker call.
2: Yes. The trucker call. The question that a lot of people have. I've stated before I know that call exists. I didn't want to go into too much detail at the time, but I know that call exists because I have it. We have it. I have it. Lou Berry has it. Brandon's family has it. It's always important to keep some information close to the chest regardless of whether we think this was an accident or not we don't know for sure so you keep things close to the chest because if you have someone that comes forward with information this stuff that you're keeping close will help you determine okay is this person feeding me a line or are they legit and that's why you hold on to things i know everybody in the public wants to hear that call i I'm just not comfortable putting that out there. Neither is the family.
1: And this is a call just to clarify the trucker who was uh driving uh how what what time was this
2: call made at? Like how far behind was how he? How far behind Brandon was he? Yeah. Well, he didn't call until he got to the Stripes gas station. Right. And the right. call went in at 12:56. So that's like Five minutes after Brandon got done talking to nine one one, so you back the time that he would have taken to get from Brandon's truck to the gas station. You time. Apparently, he went in and told the clerk, "There's this truck south of the Colorado River. It's halfway in the shoulder, halfway in the lane." And it was the clerk that said, "Well, maybe you ought to call the sheriff's office and let them know it's out there, ah, so that nobody else hits it." And that's what he did. But once you back off all those times, we. Th- Now, this is still speculation, but we can infer, based on what we have, he may have passed by the truck somewhere close to the time Brandon is on the phone with 911.
1: Right. Okay. I think that was where my head was going, but I didn't realize it. Yeah, and
2: and there's some evidence in Brandon's 911 call that kind of supports that, especially if that sound is the sound of a big truck going over the bridge or passing by.
0: Okay, and this might be a good time to replay Brandon Lawson's 911 call, since we're talking about it in the next few minutes. 9,
2: 2013,
4: Zero, 50,
0: and 38 seconds. 911 emergency. Yes, I'm in the middle of the field. Of the state. We're just pushing guys over. Right here, going towards wind on both sides. My truck ran out of gas. There's one car here. You got to the one.
5: Okay, now, run that, run the into him. I talked to him, oh, I You totally ran into him. Ah, you ran into him, okay. That's the first guy. You need I an amulet? It. Yes, no, I need a call. Okay. Is anybody hurt? Hello? Hello?
1: Right, 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 and and you have that call, and you also have the call from nine one one dispatch to the sheriff's uh, office. And it's interesting to hear those because you know Brandon called, Mm -hmm. and then you have the nine one one. The the person who received Brandon's call calls the sheriff's office Mm -hmm. trying to explain what just happened in that
2: call. Yeah, and that's how it worked. Yeah. The 911 calls went into a nursing home, and then the nursing home then turns around and calls either A, the sheriff's office, B, the fire department, or C, the rescue squad, like the ambulance. Right.
1: And the woman who answered it and then called the sheriff's office sounds really... uh, perplexed by it and and sort yeah. of like she she i think at one point she says she doesn't I don't know what the hell he was going on you know yeah. and she's very frank about it. and then you have the the trucker calling her, and she's she starts to piece it together in her head that maybe that truck that was on the side of the road or in the road was related to the the call that she just got a few minutes prior correct it's it's interesting to hear the whole chain of events, and no one mentions him no one mentions an individual there's only a mention of maybe people
0: yeah it's interesting yeah the interpretation of the 911 call with Brandon um you get kind of get to hear the next step that same woman who answered it in her same voice which is familiar from the 911 call and then she kind of I mean if, if you were a listener was gonna hear the 911 call and then explain what he was saying you're you're kind of having the same conversation that she had
2: yeah you yeah know? yeah It doesn't make much sense. There's a a misunderstanding, and and even we didn't have clarity on this up until about a year ago, maybe. Was Brandon's 911 call responded to? You know, all you hear about is the trucker call being responded to by Deputy Neal. The answer to the question is yes, they did respond to Brandon's 911 call. Now, I know, again, uh, I've discussed this with people before, and they're like, you know, why wasn't this presented from the beginning? We didn't know. Brandon's family didn't know we didn't know until Lou and I started really digging into it. That police actually responded to his 911 call? Yes. They sent a deputy north. The only really geographic location he gives is, I'm out here going towards Abilene. Now, there's been some speculation on whether Brandon's saying, I'm out here on Side," I'm out here on both sides. I can't say that the dispatcher interprets it as both sides. So the only thing she has geographically to go on is Abilene. So she takes it as he's, he's already gone through brunt he's not in brunt so they send deputy fox to go north on highway 277 to look for whoever has called and then the trucker calls and one part of that call i can reveal is he does tell them exactly where the truck is one mile south of the colorado river bridge and so again as you guys pointed out she's trying the dispatcher is trying to piece this together but she can't quite you know she doesn't have enough information because Brandon was talking so quick. So they're wondering, she's wondering if it's related, but she doesn't know. So rather than turn the original deputy around, she keeps him north to look for whoever had called the first time. They dispatch Deputy Neil to go south and investigate the truck that's parked. Uh, I mean, he the truck driver describes the truck partially in the shoulder, mainly in the ra- roadway. From what I've been told by, you know, Kyle audrey and even law enforcement not necessarily directly to me it looks like brandon went to pull off the road and just for whatever reason stopped halfway pulled over and mainly in the roadway ran out of gas
3: yeah ran out of gas right
2: yeah and i don't know if i mean but like even when you run out of gas you can still coast so, I, I mean, that, that, we'll be speculating on that till the cows come home. No, that's a fair point. You He could have coasted in the
0: breakdown lane, I guess, or off of the road, but he apparently, if his truck did run out of gas, he didn't coast until it was almost stopped. He didn't coast and try to get it out of the lane until it almost stopped.
2: If you want, I actually have a partial transcript here of yeah, the call from the dispatcher at the nursing home to the sheriff's office. Awesome. So, this transcript is being read by the true crime twins, Chloe and Melina. And why are we having them read this instead of listening to it? It's important to keep some things close to the chest.
3: But are we reading exactly what's on it and on the call, or?
2: For the most part, yeah.
3: Oh, okay, so I see there's some things that
5: are redacted. I'm playing the role of Sheriff's Office Dispatch, and I'm 911 Dispatch. Hi, this is Melina at the Care Center. Yes, ma'am. Um, I got a 911 call. His phone kept, he kept fading out and I replayed it twice and I didn't catch all of what he said and I couldn't get him back, but he said he was going towards Abilene and he said something threw some guys over in a field on the highway on both sides and he said the truck was out of gas. Hmm. And I asked him if anybody was hurt and I never got an answer and I said, hello, 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 and I could never get him back. So you don't know how far out? No, I don't know how far out and I don't know exactly what the hell happened. Okay. He did say he needed police, but I don't know if he needs an ambulance and I don't know if he needs a fire truck. Okay, well, I'll send an officer and see if he can find him. Thank you.
2: And that's when they dispatched Deputy Fox. It's very interesting. It's very interesting looking at the transcript. Yeah. One thing that has really kind of gone on since the beginning is a lot of people have thrown the have been very upset with the dispatcher. I mean, because we did we didn't know what they did. And I mean, she's not really Coke County is so small. I mean, as we all know, they didn't have a trained nine one one dispatch. I mean, these calls went into a nursing yeah. home after hours.
5: She's clearly trying to get to the I, bottom it, of it, and it's frustrating to her.
2: I, I just didn't want to see, and this is something I iterated to Odessa when we first talked about, you know, talking about this. Is I don't like inno- seeing innocent people attacked. I mean, so I mean, the, again, it is what it is. It looks like she did try to do her job. Say what you want about you know how the sheriff and all that handled it, but it looks like the dispatcher and the dispatcher at the sheriff's office—they did try.
1: Oh, absolutely, and you can tell in the other call too with the trucker that she's putting the pieces together. And I mean, this is something that she probably thinks about. I mean, she's obviously aware of that, Brandon disappeared right has anyone ever, oh yeah you know i mean this is probably something she talks thinks about every single day
2: yeah one question we keep getting is anyone talk to the truck driver or the dispatcher and you know is that on the list of things to do yeah but at this point we know what they did so talking to them again isn't necessarily paramount uh it, i mean would it be nice to see if there's something they can add you know we're working on that maybe but at this point, it's not our primary focus because, again, we know what they did.
1: Right. While it would be interesting to hear from her, what more are you going to get that's going to provide any information to help find Brandon? Everything is is already recorded and there. You, know, you, yeah. you, you hear the 911 call. You hear her call. It would be interesting to hear from the truck driver just to hear his thoughts, like what went through his head after he... Uh, saw the truck after after he passed it, and then you know decided to stop at the uh, the store and and even mention it to the clerk. Uh, you know it obviously stood out to him. Yeah,
2: and, and by the way, he stopped at the gas station to get fuel for the truck.
1: Oh, he he stopped to get fuel for the truck.
2: Okay, okay. And I want to point out there is no reason whatsoever in any way, shape, form, or fashion to believe the truck driver had anything to do with Brandon's disappearance.
1: Has anyone spoken with the clerk at the gas station? And do you think that that's important?
2: I would say probably not. I mean, all she really did was, well, hey, call the sheriff's office and tell him there's a truck. I mean, I don't think there's really anything she could add. The the gas station was in the direction
0: that Brandon was going as well, right? Correct. But there was no sighting of Brandon by that gas station
2: attendant or over there? No, and the uh, Coke County Sheriff's Office did pull the surveillance footage from the stripes. Brandon does not appear at all on that footage at any time. Interesting, because
0: you would think that he would have known about that gas station and could have... Yeah, Ledessa has said he knew where that gas station was. Right, right. So, I mean, how far away was his truck left to that gas station? Four and a half miles. Okay, so it's a it's a hike to walk on foot, but you could it's doable. Yeah, it's doable. Darn, man. Yeah. What about the um, reaction from the sheriff's office when uh, the calls were asked for?
2: I don't want the people of Brant to look at this case as an obstacle to be avoided. Uh, I want them to look at it as a challenge to overcome, and I think we're gonna the best way to do that is to overcome it together both myself the Lawson family anybody who is vested in this case and helps out we are not there to destroy the peaceful lifestyle that the people of that city have come to cherish we just want to find Brandon that's it we're not here to paint the town in a negative light we're not here to point the finger at anybody we just want Brandon found that's it I owe Brandon this I really do I've I've mentioned this before how I was bullied really bad and there were days that it was pretty dark up here in in this head of mine and the only thing that kept me going from some to some dark places in addition to my friends was people like Brandon helping me out and I'm going to help him out. I don't care what the circumstances are, you know? I I will obey. Every law set forth by the state of Texas, I will obey any wish of the landowner whose property I'm searching. My door is open for the sheriff. If he, if he wants that, I'm not, I'm not here to paint him in a negative light. I'm not here to throw him under the bus, just like I said. I cannot look at the man in the mirror now, especially after much time as I've put in, and walk away. Brandon didn't care what my circumstances were, I don't care what his are, I will not pack my ball and go home.